Welcome, everybody, to the sixth episode of the Sabermetrics podcast hosted by the Charging Buffalo. My name is Bill. Alongside me, as always, is Walt. Uh, We have a lot to go over. Uh, Last episode was actually on the 31st of January, so there's been plenty of news when it comes to the Sabres and their COVID situation and uh, some interesting playing on both, you know, the the power play and five-on-five play that's been kind of the talk of things. We're going to get into a little Jack Eichel talk. Um, To put it out there now, we don't want to trade him. Um, but to introduce my co-host here, Walt, how you doing, man? Doing pretty well. Just coming back from the Sabermetrics media tour this week. I mean, got to go on a couple of great podcasts. I went on a Straight Up Sabres with Brendan and Taylor. And I also went on Saber Scoop with Tom Jordan and Brandon. So, I mean, you could check out those podcasts too. I mean, I can never really get enough Sabres talk. So it's great to have my third episode this week. I'm really looking forward to talking about some new stuff. Yeah, so he's yeah, you're you're feeling great. I'm a little rusty here, obviously, because yeah. it's been a while. <laughs> so um I did listen to those. They were great for anyone that wants to, you know, listen to Sabres podcasts. I mean, those are those are two real solid ones. You know, I just like you said, I you can't get enough of, of talking about the Sabres. I can't get enough of of hearing about the Sabres. So I'm definitely listening to those things. But moving on to the COVID outbreak. I don't really want to comment too much when it comes to the NHL's handling of it because, like, I don't really know how what they did wrong specifically, what they could have done better. I feel like my takes probably would be wrong, and I just don't want to comment on that. But there is a scary situation uh, with the Sabres now. Everyone's cleared except Rasmus Ristolainen. Uh, we obviously wish him well, but there was a quote from a news outlet in Finland that sounds like they interviewed him. Um, and this is the English translation of that article. Rissalainen says, Sometimes there were quite disturbed states of being. When there was chest pain, felt like my heart was cracking as I walked up the stairs. A couple of events, there were such conditions when I went to bed that I didn't know if I woke up here anymore in the morning. So basically, he didn't know if he was going to wake up in the morning. That's when he thought, um, you know, he was hopefully this wasn't here now basically he was hoping this wasn't the end um which for someone in just fantastic physical shape um we were talking about a pre-show about was posting things of insane workouts again this this summer we all know what great shape he's in this is terrifying um i mean i we all wish him a, a speedy recovery but for someone to feel like their heart is cracking just to walk up the stairs and, and to to feel like if they go to bed they might not wake up i mean that's that's truly scary. Um, you know, this is pretty heavy off the start, but I mean, Walt, is there anything you wanted to add to that? I mean, there's there's not much we can say except we hope he gets well. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely horrible to see, especially with the season he's been having this year. I mean, he's been off to a great start. I mean, he's really struggled in the past. And to, like, finally see him play his game in full stride and to have this happen to him, I mean, it's kind of just tragic. I mean, I definitely feel for him. And, I mean, he's honestly probably in the best physical shape out of any Sabres player just with some of the workouts he does. I mean, the fact that he plays like 25 minutes a night some nights and doesn't even seem fatigued. So to have something like this really affect him, I mean, it's just pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, again, we, we wish him all the best. We wish, you know, his his family, I'm sure they're they're concerned. And uh, over in Finland, um, you know, we, we hope them a you know peace of mind and, and everything works out well there. So our best to Rasmus Ristolainen, like you said, he was off to a great start this year. It was exciting to watch um, because of all the critiques in, in the past. You know, it's it's not like people wanted to see him do poorly. And, um, you know, he was doing great this year. And it's just it's tough. It's tough to watch because he seems like a great person. I mean, they wouldn't keep him around 
as long as they have. I understand there's contract and and you know, you know how he played, but he seems like someone that people get along with. He's been around a, a while and he's he's instilled in this team. Um, you know, he's a familiar face, so I, I'm sure everyone on you know the Sabers end is incredibly terrified. You know, fans are, you know, family is so. Everyone's just wishing a, a speedy recovery for Ristolainen. Um, on to some uh, better news. Uh, there's there's definitely some good things to go over, especially when it comes to the, the game the Sabres played yesterday against the Devils, uh, getting a little revenge on them. Uh, Victor Olofsson, uh, there's only four games this season. They've played 14 games um, where he doesn't have a point. So in 10 games, he, he has at least a point, you know, a lot of... A lot of power play goals. There's five power play goals, and then he has an empty netter, so he actually has six goals for the year. Um, is I, We kind of know what comes with Victor Olofsson. He's a power play specialist, but especially during a time when the five-on-five five play hasn't been there, I mean, he's showing his worth right here. He's he's the only one that seems to be producing, hitting the back of the net. I mean, you, we can, again, talk about expected goals for and, against and and all these metrics but if you're not scoring you're not scoring you know what what are you seeing from Victor Olofsson that you're not seeing from other players especially on the power play like Eichel or Reinhardt um, or Taylor Hall Skinner what are you seeing from Victor Olofsson besides his wicked shot I mean he's he even causes problems for teams when Jack Eichel's looking them off and making a pass to the in front of the net where no one was guarding Reinhardt like we saw yesterday I mean, that's just the threat of him being there is producing, even if he's not touching the puck, wouldn't you say? Yeah, well, I think just that power play, just with Eichel on it and Olsen. I mean, when Eichel, when he has that puck on a stick on the power play, he's just a really scary player. I mean, he can make passes that most other guys in this league cannot make. So when he has that puck on a stick, he's really attracting a lot of attention from the PKers. And then the PK unit also has to keep an eye on Victor Olsen, too, with that crazy shot he has. So, I mean, that just creates a lethal combination on the power play. I mean, I think Olsen's shot and Eichel's just ability to just be an all-around playmaker have really been the difference maker for the Sabres this season on the power play. And I think that's cer- certainly a Victor Olsen's strong suit in his game. At 5-on-5, five five, I mean, he's really just a guy out there. I mean, he's okay. I mean, he doesn't really kill you, but he's not really a great five-on-five player. Still hasn't scored a five-on-five goal. He has some good traits to his game, but, I mean, really the only part of his game that's truly elite is his shot. I mean, everything else I think rates out average or below average. But, I mean, he's still a pretty useful player. I mean, I guess the question the Sabres have to answer going forward is do they use Olsen as a trade chip to possibly improve, like, your five-on-five play? Because there's... Could be some teams, especially teams going to the playoffs with a weaker power play, looking for a guy like Olsen to improve that unit. So if the Sabres can move Olsen for like a five-on-five contributor, maybe even a goalie, uh, I mean, we'll see what happens. But he's definitely a useful player, but I think there are going to be some questions of them going forward as whether he's worth keeping as a type of luxury on the power play or whether he's worth moving for more solid five-on-five contributor. Absolutely. And, I mean, as of right now, I think they, they kind of need him when it comes to, you know, their lack of five-on-five play. If they want to score goals, they're going to have to get him on the power play. Um, you know, that's not a recipe for success, but that's also something that if you're not scoring five-on-five, like, you just you have to have that if you want to try to win games. Um, but at the same time, if you can sell high on Olofsson, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. And I guess this can kind of lead us into, uh, you know, a discussion of, yeah, there were a couple couple rough games against the Islanders, and people started calling again to trade Jack Eichel. I I I'm just gonna let you have the floor. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think with Jack Eichel, I mean, that's literally I think an impossible trade to win. I mean, unless you do something kind of like the Eric Lindros trade, like way back when where they got like a bunch of really good pieces out of it. I mean, that probably hit their ceilings as prospects. I mean, cause like that's really the only way you're going to win the trade. Like say you trade for like Quinn and Byfield. He like goes beyond his ceiling, turns into one of the top centers in the game. You also get like a prospect like Kaliev. He turns into a first line winger. I mean like crazy scenarios like that. 
like the only ways you could possibly win the trade. But I mean, other than that, I mean, I just have a hard time seeing a team coming on top. I mean, I don't know what you think about this, but I mean, that's where I'm at. I am of the mindset that if you're trading players, he's certainly not the first. Like, if he's getting traded, I think he he's behind someone like uh, maybe like Reinhardt, some defenseman. I, I just think he's probably one of the last to go. I, I, I mean, he could be the one that, that starts, you know, that has the damn burst. But I, I personally, I wouldn't trade him first. I think there's plenty of other players to get rid of to try to fix this before getting yeah. rid of him. Now, if he comes to them, he's like, no, I'm gone. Like, this is this is not working. This is broken. There's It's broken beyond repair, which I we obviously don't know. They're internal conversations. That could be not at all his mindset. I, I, it's probably safe to assume, but I, I can't say that for certain, obviously. Um, but I, I just think he's not the first one to go. That's how I would handle the situation. But, I mean, we we have a rookie GM who doesn't have an assistant GM. I mean, that's if he's really trying to make his his mark on it, I, I know it's probably not going to be what he wants by making his mark with trading Eichel, but, I mean, that is a way to make your mark. So I just, I wouldn't. I, I think Darlene and and Eichel are your centerpieces. And, you know, if you're going to go full rebuild, I understand it. But, I mean, if usually, and it, like you said, if, unless it's like the Lindros trade, if you trade the best player in the trade, you're going to lose most likely. I mean, we just – yeah. The, the scars of O'Reilly still hurt. I mean, I we, we don't really want to harp on it, even though it's still affecting them to this day, um, which – by the way, humble pie eating on Tage Thompson ad hasn't worked out this year. Um, you know, I'm hoping he finds it because he, he really did look good last year when it was when he was with the Amherst in that one game. He did play with the Sabers. He looked good in the game um, until he got hurt, obviously. But that one hasn't gone too well. But back to my original point, yeah, I just, I just, I can't. That that would hurt too much, honestly. Like I understand you just have to make a business decision um, at some point, but I I just trading Eichel's just too too rough I mean that's just that's fully committing to not making the playoffs again uh, unless you swindle something massive and yeah I I agree (laughs) even if you're getting first round picks and if you do trade Eichel and this is coming from someone that doesn't want to you I you have to trade for players because I I just the whole draft pick unless it's a, a team that you know is going to be in the top five and you're getting a huge deal that way I, I just I really think you got to go with the known commodity I mean yeah you could load up in in a really good draft but then you're just not going to see that player along the way I mean you're you're trading Eichel you, you got to get players back especially you can't get a, a draft pick that's two years down the road and then it takes you know a couple of years for that player to to get you know to their somewhat potential or make the roster it just it can't work I, that just You'll lose the fan base at that point. That's my thought process on it. I don't know if you disagree, but I just I think if you're trading Eichel, it's, he's got to be one, not the last to leave, but he's certainly not the first. Yo, I mean, like the last rebuild, I mean, we've seen. I mean, I guess we're still in that rebuild. Like back when they kind of like tanked for Eichel and they traded off like Vanek, Palmville, all those guys. I mean, you still had a good amount of fan excitement just because that team of Vanek, Palmville, and Roy Miller. I mean, they were still a pretty solid team, and they had a few playoff appearances. I mean, fans were still really interested in that team. So when they stopped winning, it was kind of like, okay, we could probably dedicate a few years to a rebuild. I mean, we just want to be back to, like, that 2006 team again. But now, like, six years, six, seven, eight years into this rebuild, I mean, I have a hard time seeing fans being interested in trying the same thing again, I mean, because – management tried selling fans on the fact that all we need is a number one center and we could become a championship contender. I mean, it's true that pretty much all teams that win the Stanley cup have a really good number one center. But I mean, it's not true that all teams with number one centers win the Stanley cup. I mean, it's the NHL. It just doesn't work like that. So to sell the fans on like another rebuild on like another, Oh, we just have to tank again, maybe get 
for a second overall pick at like the top prospect. I mean, you just can't sell the fans on that again because we got our prize and that prize hasn't been enough to push the Sabres over the top because there's much more to building a team than just a few high-end players. I mean, there's four lines, three pairs of defensemen, a goalie, a whole prospect system. I mean, it's just been horrible mismanagement through this last rebuild, so there's no reason to think the Sabres could do this next one any better if they decide to move on from Jack Eichel. Exactly. So I think we've kind of put the bed that that's just not it's not a smart idea. We don't support it. If they do it, you're doing a lot more harm than good, most likely. So uh, hopefully that would... I mean, we don't really dictate what people talk about, but I would hope that would put to bed people saying that we need to trade Jack Eichel because it, it shouldn't happen. And if it does, then prepare for a world of pain because it's going to be a long one for sure. And and again, the grass isn't always greener. They could try to rebuild again. They could botch it even worse. You know, maybe they, they end up, you know, last in the league, but they get what happened to Detroit where they get fourth overall or you know something along those lines or guys aren't panning out i mean it's just it's not gonna work just let's stop talking about trading jack eichel let's stop talking about trading rasmus Dahlin. like let's just stop talking about trading those two so moving on to uh, <laughs> and this i guess could have worked out for for this segment but uh, my personal favorite here is thanks i hate it um this week is going to be uh, a, a player that isn't necessarily doing something wrong. He's still a good player, but yeah, that's when Walt breaks it down, you'll understand. So here's our favorite segment on the podcast. Thanks, I hate it. I mean, come on, Ed, it's bullcrap. Oh, brother, this guy stinks. I hate it here. Thanks, I hate it. For thanks, I hate it today, we're going to go into Sam Reinhart and just looking at his PDO. And for most people that don't know what PDO is, it's pretty much your five on five on ice shooting percentage. So your team shooting percentage when you're on the ice and also your team's on ice save percentage. So save percentage when that player is on the ice. Combine those two and the PDO should pretty much be around like 1.00. I mean, right now, Sam Reinhardt's PDO is at 0.879. That's last in the league among any NHL skaters with at least 150 minutes played this season. When Sam Reinhart is on the ice, his team is shooting an insanely low 4.1%. And when Sam Reinhart's on the ice, his goalie's only saving around 83.8% of shots, which is just an insanely low 5-on-5 save percentage. So, I mean, None of this is really Sam Reinhardt's fault because, I mean, his expected numbers are solid. It's really just the goalie's just being awful when he's on the ice somehow, like insanely awful, like more than usual. And also just some insane, like shooting unluck. I mean, there's really nothing he could do here, but I mean, and he's still been performing well, even though his PDO is insanely low. So once that PDO goes up, I mean, I think we could see like a career year from Reinhardt. I mean, he's looking extremely good this season exactly and it's that's one of those things where you notice i've noticed him plenty on the ice making really good plays and it just doesn't translate and you feel i kind of feel bad for the guy so yeah i mean that that kind of dictates the story of not only reinhardt there's there's others that are you know low on the pdo charts but um reinhardt's definitely suffering uh the the worst and when it comes to saying thanks, I hate it to something, it's, you know, not getting puck luck and the goalie's not saving something. So there's this week's, or this episode's segment, Thanks, I Hate It. I mean, come on, Ed, it's bullcrap. Oh, brother, this guy stinks. I hate it here. Thanks, I hate it. All right, so we tried to sandwich these things. It didn't really work out as much this week talking about the Eichel thing, but we try to sandwich these things, talk about something good uh, before and after. Thanks, I hate it. And it's, I think this this week's definitely got to be um, the on the second portion of the, the good is Dylan Cousins. Was he the missing piece for this team? I, I understand they were playing the Islanders, which are just stifling def, you know, defense and you know playing tra- getting up and playing traps and, and things of that nature, but I mean, Dylan Cousins, I was saying pre-show, he almost 
you know, plays like a magic trick on me to a point where I look at him. I'm like, wow, that was a really nice play. Kind of thinking it was like a veteran or like someone like Hall or something. And it was, it's Dylan. <laughs> it's pretty surprising to see how mature he is. And he could be playing in the WHL right now. I mean, it's a good thing he does not belong there at all. There's nothing there for him. But I mean, he's really, impre- and this doesn't pertain to production, but he's having a really, really good rookie season. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Cousins, he's just one of those prospects that it's like this guy just does everything right. I mean, really the last Sabres prospect I remember like that's kind of another WHL guy, Sam Reinhardt, where it's just like these guys just do all the little things right. And, I mean, I think Cousins, I mean, he's probably more naturally gifted, physically gifted than a guy like Reinhardt just with a skating ability and his shot. And so I think Cousins, he's going to be one of those guys that's just incredible analytically has great point totals. I mean, just an all-around solid player. I mean, I think he's going to be a fan favorite here for a while, and I think he's definitely going to be a key piece going forward. I guess the next step in the process is just slowly transitioning him into that center role and hoping he could eventually take over as the 2C because having Eichel and Cousins down the middle for like the next decade would be pretty solid. Exactly, and that's, hey, let's reiterate, it's another reason not to trade Jack Eichel. Um, especially if you can, you know, give Dylan Cousins that that cushion where he plays as a two C, and I think he'd be, you know, I think he'd be fantastic at it. I think that's a perfect role for role for him. Excuse me, uh, and I at this point it's it's only trending upwards. Um, I I really would be surprised to see if you know his development kind of started tanking a bit. Um, you know, it's obviously something to monitor uh, with you know who who he's playing with, but considering he's playing with Taylor Hall and Eric Stahl, I think he's pretty sheltered at this point with some some really good players. So um, I did want to mention one thing about Eric Stahl yesterday. I did see he has looked slow at times this year. I thought he had a decent jump in his step yesterday. Um, and that's something where it's almost, it seems like it could be infectious where you have Taylor Hall, who's always moving his feet, and Dylan Cousins, who's always moving his feet. Uh, I, I, I think that's a good thing for Eric Stahl as well. Would you agree? Yeah, because I think that stall line, I mean, whoever he's been with, like whether it's Olison or someone like that, I mean, that line looked kind of bad, like when Cousins was out and, I mean, when Taylor Hall wasn't on that line, just because, I mean, it looked kind of like, I don't know, it didn't just move fast. I mean, everything was slow. They put up, like, okay, defensive numbers, but really produced nothing on offense. So, I mean, just to have a little more energy on that line with Taylor Hall and Dylan Cousins, I mean, you could really see, like, the scoring chances they generated last game. I mean, just the chances off the rush. And it looked like a refresh second line. I mean, if you could get that second line going, that's going to be huge going forward because that honestly hasn't been a great part of the Sabres game so far this season. I mean, we were really looking forward to finally having two solid top six lines. But, I mean, that really hasn't been the case this season. The second line's been pretty bad. But, I mean, they put out great numbers against New Jersey – I mean, New Jersey's defense is a little questionable, but I mean, even then, it's still great to see that line dominate last game. So definitely something to keep an eye on going forward. Absolutely, and I mean, I think the true test would be uh, playing the Islanders uh, their their next game here on the twenty second uh, or tomorrow for those people who uh, who are planning to watch uh, Monday night in uh, New York, and then they go to uh, New Jersey and they play a home and home on the 23rd and the 25th there, so there's a little update there. Um, you ready to brag a little bit? Will Borgen. Yeah, let's brag a little bit. Will Borgen. We uh, we called that one, didn't we? I mean, I, and a lot of other people did. Um, you know, I was consistently advocating for, to, you know, to give him a shot, especially over Matt Irwin. I'm not going to sit here and just bash Matt Irwin. Uh, he had a, you know, relatively decent game yesterday, uh, get picking up an assist. But Will Borgen, especially with – Rasmus Dahlin, I mean, he's just, he is the prototypical modern-day defensive defenseman. I mean, we could say Ryan Johnson is too, but I'd say Will Borgen is more just because he still has that physical edge to him. Uh, But, yeah, skates well, moves the puck well, looks calm, which I don't really know how much that really, you know, makes him better than other players if someone was rather frantic, I guess. But he just looks seasoned um, and I mean, he should be. He's been in the pros for a while now, and he's you know played against AHL players. But 
to see him get this chance and and take full advantage and now play with Rasmus Dahlin, I mean, this is this is best case scenario, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think Borgen's kind of like everything you hope for, like with his performance in the NHL so far. I mean, he's always been a favorite of mine, like through all the development camps through like St. Cloud State, Rochester. Always really thought he's been a solid player just because he's like that type of defensive defenseman, but he also is really good on his feet. I mean, usually when you see guys get branded on as like defensive defensemen, usually it just means they're big and slow. But I mean, Borgen, that's not the case. He moves pretty well. I mean, he's kind of the perfect complement to Rasmus Dahlin's game, too. I mean, we've seen these two partner together at prospect tournaments in the past. I mean, it's been working out perfectly so far. I mean, you have a guy like Dahlin who loves going down in the offensive zone, playing down there. And just give him a guy like Borgen, who's just a responsible defenseman, doesn't give up much danger. I mean, they could honestly be the Sabres' top pair of the future. I mean, I know... People probably don't think of Will Borgen as a top pair guy, but the top pair in the Sabres' future should really all be about which partner brings out the best Erasmus Stalin. And, I mean, I think Will Borgen's looking like that guy, so I think he's definitely going to be a big piece going forward. And we heard Ralph Kruger give high praise to Will Borgen. So, I mean, I definitely think he's going to be in the lineup going forward. Absolutely. And it's, like you said, it's about the compliment more than, you know, is he, you know, you know, top two worthy, essentially, like a, as individual skill. And and that's important to to realize because if they can do that throughout their defensive lineup, you know, find someone, okay, you have Darlene and Borgen. Find someone that works well with Yoki Haru. I'm not exactly sure who that, that player would be. I'm sure you, you might have, you know, a couple ideas there. Uh, but if they find a nice compliment to him, I mean, there's a, that's a solid top four right there. And you, again, I'm, I'm a big advocate of having Jake McKay play, you know, like top four to six minutes, but also be your number one penalty killer. So you keep him around on your, you know, in your top six and maybe give him someone like Jacob Bryson, even though they are both left shots, I believe. Um, but I mean, that's, that is a recipe for success. Um, you know, I think at this point, speaking of PD, you know, Reinhardt's PDO, I'm pretty sure Darlene's is down there too. So it would be nice to see yep. that go up, but um, I, I think that is a recipe for success. Uh, you know, you have guys like Montour and Miller that don't seem to quite fit. I know I was a, an advocate for Miller playing with Darlene. It was more kind of what we talked about with, with Borgen. It was a compliment. It was he has a lot of straight line speed. He has a good reach. Um, you know, we can keep him back at the point while Darlene is, you know, doing what he does in the offensive zone. So I think if, you know, considering Borgen wasn't in the lineup then now that he is I think that is could be like you said one of their top pairings um is especially a, a you know top four when considering if they played Jake McCabe and Rasmus Ristolainen and, and uh Rasmus Dahlin with Will Borgen that's a solid top four with with how McCabe and Ristolainen were playing I'm kind of doing a little revisionist history here but that's just Kind of what I'm saying. If they find the right complements and and the right pairings, I really think this defense can be better than last season, considering they do have a lot of the same players. But you just need to, you know, add Will Borgen. Um, and I'm not quite there to say it, but um, and I was just looking at a few prospects, uh, you know, point totals here, and, and to quickly pivot into some prospect talk. Oscar Laxon is got five assists in, in four games in the AHL. I mean, again, he's played pro hockey overseas, um, and it is a bit of an adjustment to you know smaller ice and, and the North American style of play. But he's looked pretty good um, when it comes to at least point production. I haven't been able to, to watch the games all that much. I can't say anything defensively. I hope to, you know, at some point get back to, to watching some, some Amherst reruns. But Laxon is looking pretty good, and I know we were talking about it, uh, some of the TCB guys, we were talking about that Matias Samuelson, I mean, isn't doing all that shabby either. Yeah, I mean, Matias Samuelson, he's going to be interesting because he's actually been pretty solid in the AHL. I'm probably one of his biggest skeptics, though, just because I kind of question like his mobility, especially once he gets up to the NHL level. Still feel like that's something he struggled with in college. And he hasn't really struggled with it too much in the AHL so far, but 
it's definitely encouraging to see the points come along for him. I mean, I think he's going to be a solid, maybe seventh defenseman. I mean, guy who could call up in a pinch, kind of like in Matt Irwin's role in the future. And definitely encouraging to see that from him. And Laxanen, I mean, I've always loved him as a prospect just because I remember his first development camp. I remember seeing the guy thinking that, like, I don't know, like one of the coaches, like sons or something, just went out to skate with the guys for development camp just because he was, like, so, like, so much weaker compared to all the other guys out there. I mean, he could barely get off a wrist shot. Looked like he barely fit in his pads. And to kind of see, like, the development he's gone through in his hockey career, like playing in the Liga, getting top pair minutes there, and what he's doing in the HL now, it's definitely cool to see how laxing in. I mean, I think he's going to be a guy who could be a feature in the top six. Maybe, and probably not as soon as next year, but, I mean, two years down the road, I mean, I could definitely see it. I think he's one, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I've, it's a lot of highlights, but he is one of those guys that is, is good getting the puck out of his zone, whether it's skating or passing, and he is a right-shot defenseman. Hey, maybe your future's Jake McCabe and, and Oscar Laxanen on that, you know, that bottom pairing. You have Laxanen who can get the puck out for McCabe, and you have McCabe who's someone who will, again, play on the penalty kill and, um, you know, play defensively. So, again, it's all about pairings and, and things of that nature. But back to uh, prospects here, and you had an article about him, um, why he is the most interesting prospect. And I wanted to, you know, kind of give the, the audio version of what you covered in that. Uh, definitely go check it out. It is on the Charging Buffalo uh, at uh, thechargingbuffalo.net. Um, it's a little bit down there, but it's a great article. I remember reading it. Um, Aaron Huglin, Huglin, Huglin. Um, he's having a, a an impressive season in the USHL after coming back. At how how many months was it? Maybe eighteen or, or something with that it horrible was back in twenty injury? months. Twenty months. Twenty. Yes, almost two years. <laughs> Man, that's I mean that's just impressive in itself. I mean, just to come back and play, uh, like the same thing with Ursuline. And if he comes back and plays, I mean that's just impressive in itself, man. Um, which again, get well. Uh, but Aaron Huguenin coming back, it was a off season back injury working out, and um, I, I, at this point, you know, you're just hoping he can play again. But he's excelling. So, what is making him such a coming coming off so hot in his first season back? I mean, really just that elite hockey IQ and that elite muscle memory with his skills on the ice. I mean, those are two things that really never go away, even if you don't play hockey for a while. I mean, that's just like kind of like ingrained into his game. I mean, we're really seeing that this season. I mean, his hands are honestly just insane. I mean, like some of the moves he's able to pull off down there. I know the defense isn't too great in the USHL, but he's pulling some moves around guys that are projected to be first, second round picks in this upcoming draft. I mean, there's still some good talent down there. And he's just been creating dangerous opportunities like crazy. I mean, through all the data I've been tracking in the USHL, I mean, it's mainly younger players. I mean, he's definitely older than a lot of them, but he has, like, kind of the best numbers in a lot of categories so far. So it's definitely, like, really encouraging to see. I mean, definitely take the slow and steady approach with his development since he's missed so much of it with that injury. But, I mean, he's going to University of Minnesota next season. He'll be joining Ryan Johnson there. It's definitely going to be fun to see him develop. Probably, like, the most exciting board prospect outside of the first round or, like, early second round we've had in the Sabre system in just a really long time. I mean, we're just really not used to drafting guys like this. I mean, I know Corey Pronman, he called Aaron Huglin in his draft year, I mean, the most exciting player to be drafted outside of the first round just in terms of his high IQ and high skill. So, I mean, definitely great to have a guy like that in the system, and it's awesome to see him back and performing. Because I remember the episode we were talking about the prospect pyramid. I mean, we were talking about how we're not even sure if he's ever going to play again just with how long he's been out. But now to see him come back and performing pretty well, it's definitely an encouraging sign. Definitely encouraging. Um, you know, it's it's a good story especially if with, you know, how he's playing. If he came back and struggled, it would be like, it's awesome that he's back, but, you know, that that stinks that, you know, he can't, you know, get back to where he was. But he's kind of picked up right where he left off. Three questions about him specifically. Maybe some some listeners have the same questions. One, how does his skating look? Two, is he able to make these moves at full speed? And three, how is his playmaking ability? Because we see someone like Tage Thompson, who is like, yeah, he can make all these moves. That's awesome. 
but he's really not great at setting up his teammates. Yeah, I think, I mean, the skating ability, I think, is kind of like baked into just like the great skill he has, too. I mean, those two abilities really complement each other. He just has really good edge work. I mean, this allows him to hold on to the pucks, like complete fakes, head fakes, all that jazz, I mean, really effectively. So, I mean, that's definitely a really good part of his game. His foot speeds, it's definitely not like high end. Like, he gets outskated by some of the faster players in the USHL, but I mean, that's really not an important part to his game. So I think the skating ability, the agility is definitely there. And then his playmaking ability, too. I mean, I think I think it's solid. I mean, just because he just has, like, really high hockey IQ. I mean, a lot of the clips I've seen, he would just enter the zone, know exactly where to put the puck, maybe like a drop pass or something. Then that opens up a whole play, and maybe he makes a drive towards the net and gets, like, a high-danger shooting opportunity off. I mean, he's definitely... I think he's got more dimensions to his game than a guy like Tage Thompson. I mean, Thompson's so intriguing because of his size, and he like kind of did really well in college hockey, like all things considered. But I mean, yeah, the thing that's been holding Thompson back is that IQ. And so far, even though it's just the USHL level, I think Hugo's really shown off the ability to be like a complete player. And I think his skill is more translatable than uh, Tage Thompson. Okay. That's yeah, that's a positive sign too for sure uh with you know what's going on with Tage Thompson right now. Um I can definitely, you know, reiterate what you said. He does the the hockey IQ shows. I I have seen some clips where he goes into the zone. He knows exactly where he's like he's thinking a step ahead of everyone and it looks like the defenseman is just trying to hang out for dear life and just do whatever he can to maybe stop it. So I mean, there's definitely, you know, he's a 19-year-old in, in a younger league, it is a USHL, but that's still incredibly positive, um, especially when it's been this long since he's played. Um, so definitely keep an eye on him. Um, I did want to go on to another prospect, um, which we did mention a little bit earlier, Ryan Johnson. Uh, it seems like his offensive numbers have stifled a bit. We know he was off to a, a kind of a quick start there um, at the University of Minnesota. I almost said Michigan. Um, the, the thing again with him, just to reiterate is he is kind of like a Will Borgen with a little less, you know, physicality. He is the modern day defensive defenseman. Just remember, like when you're looking at these stats, I was just looking at, it and I was like, Hmm, that's, that's interesting to see after his hot start and his world juniors. Again, just remember, we saw what he can do, especially on that big stage. It is just a tournament. I understand, but it, it, just remember that, you know, the skating, the outlet passes, the preventing of high danger chances, even medium danger chances. Um, I, I don't remember who it was, but I remember seeing a chart, uh, whether it was in the World Juniors or one of his college games, and every shot against his D pairing was just on the outside, not even remotely close to the house. So that's a positive thing to, to remember on him. Just remember what he was able to do. And especially, I think this is kind of one tying into Will Borgen. You can kind of see how effective that really is for the team. Yeah, he's not going to be putting up a ton of points, but that helps the team out in, in a big way. Is there? I mean, we're not watching a, t- a ton of University of Minnesota games. At least I'm not. But is there anything you wanted to add on Ryan Johnson specifically? Yeah, I mean, some of Chad D. Dominicus, I mean, I think he tracked like, some of the games earlier in the okay. season. And, him, yeah, yeah, his defensive numbers were, like, really good. I mean, I honestly haven't watched many of his games after the World Juniors. I mean, I did notice that he only has, like, one point in, I believe, his last 10 games. So, I mean, it's definitely I – mean, he's just such an interesting prospect just because there's so many things that he's, like, so good at. But, I mean, the offensive numbers – like the college level i mean he did put up solid numbers in the world juniors but like at the college level for some reason the numbers just aren't there so i really don't know what to think of it because there's so many things to like about his game but i mean the offensive numbers like aren't where you want to see but i mean i really don't think that's that's going to be that big of a problem just because of his hockey iq how solid he is defensively i mean he'll find a role in the nhl eventually I'm pretty confident in that. Might not be – he's not going to be, like, your top offensive guy out there. He'll probably be, like, more of a bottom pairing, like, bottom four role. But, I mean, he's looked good in all the games I've watched of him this season, both at University of Minnesota and at the World Juniors. I mean, his skating ability is pretty crazy. 
I mean, you could tell that he's like the son of a former pro hockey player just with the way he thinks the game and just the way he skates. So I definitely like him going forward. And I mean, I don't know, maybe he's Yoki Haru's partner down the line. Maybe that's that second pair behind that Borg and Dahlin pair. I mean, I guess only time will tell. That would be, yeah. I mean, especially when it comes to Yoki Haru, he isn't the best when it comes to, uh, you know, straight line speed or, or agility. I mean, I, I'm not saying he's he's terrible by any means, but um, having someone that is as good as Ryan Johnson is at skating, um, that's that's definitely a good thing. I would worry about that. You know, like imagine those two, and I understand they are younger stuff like that, but just to kind of like imagine those two having to go against someone like like Miles Wood. Yeah, like they they could <laughs> I, they could get freight train there, but again, I mean that's you know specific situation, and um, you know that's assuming that they play together and all that. But yeah, I mean, and saying that he's a bottom four guy, that's not a that's not a shot at him to, to say he's not a you know a top guy. That's the biggest thing is, you know, he's a like every single team needs contributors on their bottom four, especially guys that are, you know, have specific that are so good at things outside of just putting out points on the back end because we've seen you know players especially defensemen who just put out points where everything else just kind of crumbles around them and it's, and it affects their teammates so someone like Ryan Johnson who comes in and plays in your bottom four that could really uplift your team when it comes to just your ability to not get scored on i mean like that it seems like such a simple concept but getting the pucks out, you know, having someone that's going to create havoc for people so they can't set up in your offensive zone as as well or as easy. I mean, so that's kind of like a basic analysis. You're going to say, hey, no duh, buddy. But at the same time, it's it's something that the Sabres have lacked in the past. And to see, you know, guys like Borgen or guys like Ryan Johnson, who are these modern day defensive defensemen, apparently that's the, the key phrase of the day. Um, I mean, those are positive signs for the Sabres when it comes to not only preventing goals, but getting the puck out of their zone. Because at the same time, the, your best defense is a good offense or your best defense is just not playing defense. So I think those guys like that are definitely underappreciated when it comes to, you know, you, you're just looking at the stats, but now you see guys like Borgen and Ryan Johnson, guys of that nature who have better underlying numbers or they have skills that are more translatable than just numbers. And so you have a couple other players that we, I just really wanted to just touch on. Jack Quinn got his first couple. Uh, he got his first game, I guess it would be. Um, he got an assist in that game uh, in the AHL, so there's going to be more for him to come. He's Rochester's got some games coming up here uh, to to finish off February. Uh, is there any other prospects? I, I I don't really want to go too deep in on the should the Sabres call up Jacob Bryson thing because I do think he needs another another year in Rochester. But are there any other players that you think are deserving of a shot? And I know our two roots align and is is kind of the easy one. But Andrew Ogilvy's kind of shown over the past couple of years. Like I I think he deserves a shot at some point. So does C.J. Smith. Yeah, I mean, C.J. Smith, he's one of the guys I think is just, like, way overdue for, like, an actual NHL shot. I mean, I could pull it up really fast. I mean, I don't know when his last time in the NHL was, but I was, like, shocked to see, like, the last time he actually got games. And it's just, like, he's always been a solid player in Rochester. I mean, yeah, last time he played an NHL game was the 2018-2019 season, which, I mean, is pretty – that's, like, a while ago. So, I mean, like, when guys went down, I mean – Bogarty, he had a pretty good game, but, I mean, he's new, kind of like to the Sabres organization. So, I mean, like, why not reward, like, a guy like C.J. Smith or someone like that with some NHL games? I mean, he's been really good in Rochester this season. And he's not even really, like, a kid or a prospect anymore at 26 years old. I mean, I think he's ready for some NHL games, like, if injuries happen, if the lineup's shortened. But, I mean, yeah, like you mentioned before, our two routes to line in. I think that's uh, it's still mind-boggling to me how he's not actually with the Sabres right now. I mean, I think it's a no-brainer to put him in the lineup. I mean, he's been one of Rochester's best players so far this season. He's been probably the best offensive player in the Liga, too, before he came over to North America. So I just really don't know what he's doing outside the Sabres lineup because it's not like they're scoring goals. It's not like 
they're playing a high event offensive style. I mean, Artur's lining, he could just help out that lineup a little bit. I think he could really add some punch in the bottom six. I mean, maybe even allows you to call up a guy like Jeff Skinner into maybe a second line role and you could place him in that fourth line and still not lose. You'd lose some offense, but maybe not as much of it. I mean, I think there's a role for him on the Sabres. Absolutely. I think when it comes to Artur Ruzalainen, I would replace him with someone that is in the lineup right now. Um, I Honestly, I would say Kyle Opozo. Um, but when it comes to like C.J. Smith, yeah, when, like injuries or, if, God forbid, another COVID incident comes up. Incident comes up. Um, but I, I wouldn't take someone out of the lineup to insert him necessarily. Um, so I, I think there is a difference between there. But yeah, I think it is time to, to at least give him a shot. See what he can do. I mean, it's just, why not at this point? I mean, if you're going to go down, go down swinging. Don't don't go down on the back of Kyle Opozo. Don't go down on the back of Cody Eakin. And, um, you know, she, I, I was going to say Sheehan and Lazard. They're really not playing that terribly. So I'm not going to say that. But don't go back on, on, on you know, down on the back of, of Kyle Opozo and Cody Eakin. And we were talking about Toby Reader pre-show as well. I mean, he's, I'd say he's just average. Like, yeah, he's, he's doing fine. Like, he has... <laughs> He's leading the team. He's tied with Curtis Lazar for three five-on-five goals, which leads the team. But, I mean, let's assume that changes and, and, you know, he's not going to be, you know, keeping with the pace of leading the team in five-on-five goals. That's that's always assuming, of course. Um, I mean, I think he's solid. He deserves a a lineup spot, so I'm not going to say him. But, yeah, those two big guys of of Eakin and Opozo is just – it's tough, man. And they just keep going with it. I mean, you're you're well documenting it. It's just every single game, and it's the definition of insanity is you know doing the same thing and expecting different results. I mean, is there what? Let's take predictions before we we sign off here. When will the Reader, Eakin, Opozo line get cut off? Like it's it's over. It's it's not going back together. When do you think that actually happens? I mean, honestly, I think the only way that line gets cut off is if, like, injuries happen in the forward group and they have to kind of mix things up. I mean, we've even seen, like, the COVID games, they still kind of kept that line together. I mean, I really don't know what Ralph Kruger sees with that line because I really don't think there's a metric out there that shows that line being well. I mean, even, like, the teams, like, in-house analytics, I doubt there's anything there showing that line's playing really well, so... I mean, Ralph Kruger must like it for something, but I mean, if he seems set, <laughs> if you're that desperate for veteran presence, I mean, that's that's an issue. Like, if you're willing to sacrifice that much to have a veteran presence, and it, like, again, you know, we talk a lot more about the analytics. It doesn't match the eye test either. Don't worry about that. Don't say you know the analytics says one thing, but you can't measure heart. Yeah, I mean, like, you can work as hard as you can. Like, I can go out there and work as hard as I can. Like, do you want me to go in that lineup? No, you do not. So, I mean, it's just, I'm not going to give them a pass for, especially Opozo. Like, it's, with what he's gone through, I'm glad he's still able to play. But at this point, I mean, the Sabres don't really, like, owe him anything. I mean, he has a, a good contract. Uh, they they continue to play him. It's kind of like the Bogosian situation of last year. It's like, you don't, you know you don't have to play him, right? Like, you weren't going to be able to trade him. And you're probably gonna have to to put him on waivers or waive him or just get him off the team that way. So like, why are you still doing this? But again, I mean, they they must value something that we just aren't seeing. Um, it's got to be the veteran presence. And again, I mean, like Kyle Pozo, he does seem like a good guy. I'm not trying to go after him as a person. Like he genuinely seems like an awesome dude. But it's just, I mean, the, the game just isn't there anymore, unfortunately. Um, and yeah. we do recognize that he like. In any analysis we say here, unless we blatantly say it, yeah, we we know everyone's working extremely hard. These are professional athletes. I mean, they are paid to to work hard. So like, that's already assumed. So like, if we're crapping on a pozo, well, you you can't measure heart, you can't measure effort. I mean, we already kind of give them that. We're giving them that they already work hard, that they have the heart to to play in the NHL. So. Yeah, I mean, certain guys might look a little lackadaisical, but at the same time, I mean, they're in the NHL. They're they're working hard. They're doing what they need to do to, to play in a professional hockey league. So, again, I'm trying to give, you know, the benefit of the doubt. You know, there's something they see with him or, you know, he is that good veteran presence, which I'm sure he is, but it's 
it's really tough to justify him in the lineup right now and, and to keep someone like R2 Roots aligned in, in Rochester. Um, at least he's getting games. At least he's not on the taxi squad. So, like, I'll, I'll say that. Like, I'd rather him playing Rochester so he's at least getting games and playing rather than just practicing with the practice squad. So I will say that. But other than that, I mean, it's just it's hard to justify. Yeah, I mean, it's just at this point, it's like, and it kind of makes me question, like, does this organization actually care about winning? Because, I mean, you really can't tell me they care about actually winning games right now with, like, Oak Poso and then just keeping that line together and putting roots in line in the AHL. I mean, it's kind of just, I don't know, maybe they're trying to give, like, veteran players, like, their fair share of stuff, but it's like, I mean, this team's not a charity. I mean, at some point, you have to play your good players over the guys that have been here a while and aren't that good. I mean, the Sabres are in a really tough situation right now. I mean, they're trying to keep a lot of guys happy. They want Hall to re-sign. I mean, they probably want that to be a possibility. They want Eichel to still want to be here. I mean, to do that, you really just got to play your good players. I mean, don't just play guys because they've been here a while. I mean, play the guys that are the best hockey players. Absolutely. And if it is something to keep Jack Eichel, you know, happy, I mean, there, there is a point where it's just like, look, we, we just have to do it. Like, if he is as good of a veteran presence as as people say he is, um, which I'm, I'm sure it's true, uh, he should be able to, to take getting put onto the taxi squad like a veteran and still be there for his team when they call upon him. Um, so, I mean, it's just, I don't want to turn it into a Pozo bashing session here and, and we will sign off here in a second, but, uh, I, they really need to analyze that. They need to sit down and have some hard discussions. Um, I'm sure maybe they already have, and I'm, I'm sure they, they have, I mean, at least it's, I would hope it's been brought up, but I think it's, it's starting to look like time, like they need to pull the trigger, but besides, you know, <laughs> ending it on, you know, a relatively negative note that the team did play better. Uh, yesterday uh, against the Devils, and you know they they have a good you know chance here to to come away with three wins. Um, you know they have the Islanders. I, it would really feel good to to get a win against the Islanders uh, tomorrow, and then you have the Devils a couple times again. And look, I mean they they kind of threw your your season into a into a blender. So I mean, hey, let's you know take it out on them. I'm not saying go out there and you know beat them physically, but. Go beat them on the scoreboard. You know, beat them where it hurts. And uh, I, besides that, is there anything else you wanted to add, Walt? I mean, really, I kind of hope Jake McCabe didn't tear his ACL last game because, I mean, if that did happen, I think the Sabres season could really be on the line. So I wish the best for his recovery. And, yeah, the game against the Islanders, big game just to see what adjustments the Sabres make to try to beat their defensive system. That's right. I, I completely forgot to touch on the Jake McCabe thing. I knew it, and the second you said it, it, it reminded me. Uh, the best wishes, obviously, to him. I mean, losing him, he has been playing very, very well this season, um, and that's going to be a huge hit not only on your, you know, just your defensive core in general, but on your penalty kill as well. So best wishes to him. I really hope it's not that either, um, especially with the shortened season. I mean, there's just – especially, I mean, you're not coming back from a torn ACL, but even, you know – longer term injuries that aren't tears or something like that they can still you know have a huge impact so uh that's that's a big loss for the sabers hopefully you know they can kind of adjust from there uh, again this is the saber metrics podcast on the charging buffalo podcast network my name is bill that's walt thank you for listening we'll catch you on the next one